0: to the city on a hill church forest hills podcast we exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow jesus as king we're glad you're here and thanks for listening more information about the life and mission of city on a hill can be found at coah forest Welcome. Uh, again, my name is Steven. I'm the lead pastor here at City on a Hill. I want to welcome you today. Uh, so glad that you are here with us. Um, and as you uh, are here today, we'd love to get to know you. If you are a guest, uh, we'd love for you to fill out the blue card, the connection card in your seat. Just gives us a little bit of contact information about you so that we can connect with you and help uh, connect you to what's going on here at City on a Hill. Um, there's You'll also find a couple of other cards uh, there as well, a card too, if you're ready to take some next steps or if you'd like to pray. Um, you can fill any of those cards out, drop them in the black box in the back. Um, you'll see it rising right you get past the back pew on the right. Uh, for filling out that blue connection card, we will uh, send you a couple of gifts. One is a uh, One's a gift. One is a, a $5 gift card to Brassica Coffee Shop right around the corner. And then also we will make a $5 donation to a charity from a list uh, that we will send you. So I would love for you to fill that out and help connect you to what's going on here at the church. And, uh, and so also um, our values as a church are the gospel community and mission. The gospel is the good news that we were once separated from God. God. We were separated from God because of our sin, because of our choices, uh, because of how we fall short, and uh, that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that none of us could ever live. He died a death on the cross that we deserve to die in our place by His grace, and uh, that He rose again to give us new life, and that anyone who trusts in Jesus can be saved. And so if you have not made that decision to follow Jesus, we would love to talk with you about taking that next step of faith. Um, secondly, community, that God created us for relationships. He created us to uh, be with other people. And we believe that as the church, God is creating a new community, a new community of people who are be shaped to be his family. And so uh, we, we live that out together as a church. And then mission, the good news is just that. It is good news. We tell other people about Jesus and we live lives shaped by what Jesus has done to live for the good of our neighbor and to bless our city. Uh, a few announcements before we jump into the text. I just want to remind you of our, of our Christmas schedule of what's coming up here at City on a Hill over the next couple of weeks as we wrap up the end of the year. Uh, this coming Saturday, we're having a Lessons and Carols service on Saturday night, uh, this coming Saturday. Um, and this is an incredible uh, old tradition of the church that so we're kind of putting our own new City on a Hill spin on. And so right now, um, over half the spots are already taken. So if you are looking to be a part of this service, be sure to go to the event page, follow through to the event. Bright link and register. You have to register to be a part of this because space may run out. So we're going to make sure that um, we can do that. And we've had a lot of neighbors and friends who've jumped in to be a part of this. So use this as a way to invite friends and neighbors. Uh, Coming up on Christmas Eve, we're going to be having a service with our other City and a Hill congregations in Somerville. and so, well, there's information on the page about that. Um, the, uh, the 26th, the day, after, uh, the day after Christmas, we're having an evening service in, in Newton with our City of Hill Brighton congregation. And then coming up on January 2nd, uh, we're gonna have a joint service with our Brookline congregation. So we're gonna make the rounds this holiday season. Uh, this is also a way for all of our, our volunteers to get a break, um, because as we think about uh, the holidays, this is a good chance for us just to rest and reset. And so we'll have information about that. We'll also have information on there about uh, rideshare. So if you don't have a car or you need a ride, let us know. We'll make sure that we get you to those services. So if you show up here on the 26th or the 2nd, you will be all by your lonesome. So uh, we'll make sure you get that information. Uh, Next week, we're gonna be here worshiping uh, uh, as a Christmas service, but we're gonna be taking a break next week from the book of Ephesians, and we're gonna kick back off at Ephesians in the beginning of the year. We'll have a Christmas sermon next week. And this morning, as we continue in Ephesians chapter four, you may notice that we did uh, verse 12 twice. We ended ended our our scripture reading with it last week. We're beginning it. This week, Kayla, even as she said, she said, I'm beginning in the middle of a sentence. I said, I'm sorry for the grammar people. Um, We're beginning in this spot because... Uh, 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 uh Ephesians 4.12 is a really important verse. It is a kind of a swing verse in the middle of Ephesians chapter four. Um, I don't know if you, any of you like old Westerns. Um, my stepdad, Paul, loves old Westerns. I don't know if there's a certain point as a man where you just are obligated to love Westerns, but there's a certain point where I think all men just love them. And uh, and if you uh, watch an old Western, one of my favorite things to watch is when they swing the saloon doors open. And the, the saloon doors are on these giant hinges that, and it leads you from the outside to the inside. Uh, Ephesians 4, 12 is a bit like a hinge. Uh, it's the hinge that verses 7 through 16 swing on. And last week we looked at verses 7 through 12, looking at the task of our unity that we need to, these are the things that we need to do to secure the unity or to live out the unity that God has given us. And so really believing that if we tap into our God-given gifts, we use the diversity of abilities and giftings God gives us, we equip every member of the body Then and every member is doing their part, um, we are going to see God's church grow. And this means that every member matters. This means that every member is needed. And this means that every person is playing their part. So that's the task. But the vision and the goal, we see hinges and shifts on verse 12 through 16, showing us what we are actually working toward what we are growing into, who God wants us to be. And the reality is that if we keep going, we keep equipping, we keep releasing, we keep sending, we will eventually reach maturity as a church. I've said this multiple times the city on a hill, has not arrived. We are not there yet. We are a church that is a little over a year old. So we are just getting our feet as a church and we are just starting to become who God wants us to be. And in fact, we are constantly becoming this group of people. This is a never ending process. We're never going to fully arrive as a church. We need to constantly be going deeper. We need to be growing. We need to root out sin in our midst and we need to love each other more. And in fact, if we are a growing church, that means that there will always be newer believers in our midst. We believe if people are coming to faith in Christ. There's always gonna be a new faith to be explored. There's always gonna be room to grow. And so this morning, if you're with us and you're exploring faith, we're glad you're here. You're in the perfect spot. There's always room for us to grow as a body. We're becoming the new type of people that Paul envisions in Ephesians Is we're becoming this renewed community called by God's grace. And as that happens, as God grows us into the people that we are supposed to be, it's really compelling. It's also a little bit confusing when other people look at us and they ask, why does this certain group of people get together on a Sunday? Why do these people sacrifice and get together during the week for a community group Bible study? Why do they love each other? Look look at how they handle conflict. They they don't cancel each other, they they forgive each other. Look look at their heart for the poor. Look at how they walk with wisdom and with kindness. And we look at the totality of their lives. Things seem to make sense. Look at the diversity that we experience, how they are truly one. This is a really beautiful picture of who we are becoming. And for us to understand who we are growing into, who we are becoming, we need to kind of unpack two ideas this morning. First of all is what growth forms. And then secondly, what growth requires. So let's look at verse 13 into what growth forms. Paul's end goal, his vision that he had in mind for us, what we would grow into was the image of Jesus Christ that the body of Christ would look like Jesus more and more. And we see in verse 13 that this is not something we do by ourselves, not something we do just as individuals, but this is something we grow into together. Verse 13 says, we do these things, we equip in this way until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Until we all attain this. The common theme through the book of Ephesians is that God is growing and building a people. In chapter 2, we see he's building up a body. It's described as a temple. In chapter 4, we see the unity that is being brought about by God's grace. And so together, we are growing as a body towards maturity. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not personally growing. It doesn't mean that we're all, not, it doesn't mean we're all growing at the same pace, but it means we're growing in the same direction, We're in this together. The words we all means that we are moving as a unit, which means that my joy is intrinsically linked to your joy. When you find joy in Jesus, it increases my joy in Jesus. When you grow, it provides opportunity for me to grow and vice versa, as you grow in your gifts and you use the way that God has wired you and gifted you for the body, I benefit, I grow. When you express Christ-like love and joy to another, Others grow. In other words, if I don't win unless we win, it's like a four by four hundred relay. I don't know if anybody ran track, and it doesn't matter how fast you are on your one leg, you could be the fastest person on your one leg of the four by four hundred. But if nobody else finishes the race, nobody wins. We, we all need to grow together and do our part to become who God wants us to be. And what this means is because we're on the same team and we're in this together and our, our destinies are tied to one another, we have to cheer for each other. We have to encourage each other. We have to press each other on towards Jesus. And I want us to build this culture into our church, this culture of honor that when we recognize and see someone else growing, we say something about it. We see someone else changing. We say something about it. We see someone else serving well. We encourage them in that because as we do that, we press each other towards Jesus. We're all in this together. We're all doing this, as verse 13 says, to attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought you said that we don't attain unity, that we don't attain or earn this type of unity Well, we don't, but it's not like kind of how you think. We don't attain it in the sense that we created it. It's like if you had a rich uncle, and in this illustration, it's always a rich uncle. I don't know why, but you have a rich uncle who dies and leaves you a fortune. All you have to do to receive this fortune is you have to sign the agreement. You have to go down, open the lockbox, and take what is yours. The question is, is did you attain that inheritance by earning it? No. Did you attain that inheritance by creating it? No, you attained it by taking hold of it. You made it your own. What's meant here is that we attain the unity of our faith and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God by grasping it, by taking hold hold of it. In chapter four, verse three, it said that we maintain the unity that Jesus bought for us on the cross by making this visible. And we do this until verse 13, that we fully grasp, we fully make actual the unity that we have, that we keep equipping, keep using our gifts, keep caring, serving, loving, giving until we all look like Jesus. And Paul gives us in these verses, he gives us kind of one path and two visuals to describe the same reality. He gives us these to to show us the same goal and what we are growing toward. In the the second half of verse 13, he says, to the unity of our faith, of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Richard Kokin says that this unity in faith means a shared and true understanding of God revealed in Christ as he is revealed in the Bible. That we are growing together with a greater symmetry, a greater understanding, a greater clarity of who God is as the Bible reveals him to be. Who Jesus is and what he has done. So Paul's path and his goal is that we would increasingly know Jesus, that we would increasingly trust Jesus. We would increasingly, as we see who Jesus is, our hearts will be thrilled with delight and joy as we experience what he's done, we would have greater conviction over our sin and greater belief that those sins are forgiven. And that we would not just believe these as individuals, but we would believe this in unity together, that God would increasingly be bringing us together around this common confession that Jesus is Lord. So how do we do that? How do we do this in in this way where we're growing in unity? I think one way we do this is we submit ourselves to the Bible. At City on a Hill, we have a very high view of the scriptures. We believe it is inherent. We believe it is, it is authoritative, meaning that we don't get to dictate what the Bible says. We submit ourselves to it. That's why often the majority of the time we go through books of the Bible from the beginning to the end, because we believe that we can't, don't get to skip over the stuff we don't like. We have to walk through these things. And our tendency when we come to the Bible is our tendency is when we run across something we don't like, we either reject it or we rationalize it. We just reject it and say, ah, I'm just, I'm just going to ignore that part. I'm going to pretend like I didn't see it. Or we rationalize it away and say, you know, that was, just, that was the first century AD. I don't know what they were doing back then. I mean, it was, it was the context. It was the culture. We try to do those things, but a, a commitment to submit ourselves to the Scripture is to say, whatever the Scripture says, I'm going to submit myself to it. I'm going to be changed by it. And that's why every week, as verse 11 says, that he gave us apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, we have leaders who are going to give you the gospel every single week. We have leaders who are gonna give you the Bible every single week because we believe that through the faithful preaching of God's word, we change and we grow towards Jesus. We also do this through self-examination. We examine our hearts and we examine our body in light of scripture and we look for what's off kilter. It's a bit like tuning a guitar. If you're tuning a guitar, you're listening for what's not in tune and you adjust it and you tweak it until you get to a place of it being in tune. But here's the thing about tuning a guitar. If you play guitar long enough, what happens? It eventually gets out of tune. It's a constant process of tuning in to to, to get the guitar in tune. Faith and knowledge are like this because they feed each other. As we trust Jesus, and we're exposed more and more to the knowledge of the Bible, what happens is it creates a deeper trust. And as we trust him even more, it creates a deeper desire to know him. As we we look at Jesus and we say, I really truly believe that Jesus has forgiven my sins. And then we read the scriptures and we see again and again, time and again, how God is a forgiver of sins, how he truly loves us. It just deepens our desire to know him. And when we do this as a community, it creates awe. It creates wonder as God's people. You look at, the, at Acts chapter two, as they submitted themselves to God's word together as a people, as they let it deeply root itself in their hearts, it created awe. I was reading the Bible with a new believer a couple of years ago, and, and we were reading across John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And this guy looks at me and he says, that's in there? And I was like, yeah, it is. And he's like, like, really, like anybody who trusts Jesus can be saved. I'm like, yeah. He goes, that's really cool. I want to read some more. What happens is that as we receive new knowledge, it stokes our faith and our desire to learn more. As we seek to more fully trust, and follow Jesus, Paul gives us a visual model of what we're actually growing into. We're longing after knowing and trusting Jesus. And he says that what we're doing is we're growing up into mature manhood. Now remember, Paul is talking about the body itself. He's not talking about individual pieces of the body. So this is not excluding women. This is actually just giving a picture of who we are growing into. And what Paul's sort of describing is that we are like a 13-year-old boy who's like five foot three and has a size 11 shoe. Okay, I know that because I was that 13-year-old boy. And you would look at that boy and you would say, he's gonna be a big one, right? He's gonna be tall because look at the size of his feet. I was a 13-year-old boy who had an extra large Tommy Hilfiger shirt. And so it was like a nightgown and I think I could still fit into that thing. But I had to grow into that stature of manhood. In the same way, we are growing up from the stage of awkwardness as a church into who God wants us to be, the stature of full and mature manhood. In other words, we're called to spiritually adult. We have to grow up. And we grow grow up and we grow into, the picture of this is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's Paul saying? He's saying, we're not there yet. Just like that 13-year-old boy, you can see the potential You see how big he can be. You see the type of man he could be. But he's just got to fill out. He's got to grow. And for us, Jesus is the goal. He is the model. He is the picture of who we are to more more fully and increasingly look like. That as we see the character of Jesus, we should reflect the character of Jesus. As we experience the love of God, we have to start expressing the love of God. As we come into contact with the truth of God, it transforms us. As we see that Jesus is holy, we become holy. As we experience his goodness, we rest in that and we aspire to be like that. And by giving us this model, this goal, this picture of what we are growing up into, Paul is not, he's not constraining our growth. He's actually directing our growth. He's giving our growth form The world will tell us that growth is the same as self-actualization, that you just need to become whoever you want to be. Whoever you want to be, whatever you want to be, you become that. And the idea is that growth comes through freedom. Once you remove the restraints, you can truly grow. But it's like concrete. If you just pour concrete out on the ground and expect it to become a sidewalk, you're going to end up with a pile of concrete. But in order to create a sidewalk, you have to make some forms. You have to create a pathway in which that, that concrete can settle and form. It needs a form to direct it where to go. It needs parameters that it can solidify around and become what it's intended to become. And as Eric Mason says, for Christians, to be a Christian means that God has become our point of reference and framework. We are growing into and being formed by who Jesus is. We need to know what to grow up into so that we can become mature, so that we can deepen and strengthen our faith. As verse 14 says, that we no longer would be children. We would no longer be children in the faith, tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Every single one of us starts out as an infant. We start out as a child. And we see here in what's interesting about verse, uh, verse 14 is that if you look at that, it's in the plural, it's children. Verse 13 is, is about being one. When we think about children, it's a bit like concrete without a form. They just, it just goes everywhere. They run everywhere. If you ever tried to corral children around one common purpose, it's really difficult. If we don't have something forming us, if we're not growing into maturity, each one of us will go whatever way that we choose. We all start in a place of infancy. When you were born into this world physically, you were born as a baby. You were not born as a full grown man. You were born as a child. We all start in that place, but it's normal for us to grow up. No one lives in a perpetual state of infancy. And it's, it's spiritually we start as infants. John 3 3 says that Jesus answered, uh, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We have to be born again. We have to take on the state of spiritual infancy. Again, in uh, John 3, 7, Jesus says the same thing, that we must be born again. You start as a spiritual infant. This is humbling. It's humbling because no matter how successful you are, no matter how good you think you might be, how moral, no matter how much you think you're crushing it at life, you need to be born again. But it's also hopeful Because no matter what your past is, no matter how bad your life has been, you get a fresh start with Jesus. It's also incredibly beautiful. The church is the one place where you're not graded on your portfolio. You're not graded on your performance, but you're graded on the finished work of Christ, which means that someone vastly different than you can teach you. Someone that seemingly has less than you can guide you. When I th- Here's something incredible about Christianity is that there are the, the most intellectual people in the world and the people who have seem to have the very least both believe in Jesus. And I've learned from both. I've learned from people who are way smarter than I could ever imagine being. And I've also learned from little old ladies who have very little in this world, who have the simplest faith and trust in Christ. So what's it look like for us to pursue maturity, to to no longer be spiritual infants? Well, in 1 John, John describes three phases. And I don't wanna talk about three types because I really don't wanna communicate that there's some sort of higher plane of Christianity that you need to, some sort of secret knowledge, but there is a path that we grow on, kind of three phases. And when we look at John's encouragement in in the letter in 1 John, he gives three different encourages for kind of encouragements for three different phases. He gives an encouragement for young Christians. He describes them as children or infants. And he says in this, he says, your encouragement is that your sins are forgiven and that you know the Father. When you're new in the faith, you constantly need to be reminded that you're forgiven. You constantly need to be reminded that God's not gonna throw a lightning bolt through your chest every time you mess up that you really are fully accepted and loved based on Jesus' work for you, that you're truly forgiven, that the Father is not leaving you. Now, all of us need that. But when you're a new believer, it tends to be up and down because young Christians often will rule themselves by experience. They are a little bit like physical children because children have mood swings. In one moment, the world's great. and the next moment, the world's falling apart. It can all be over a chicken nugget, like the world is falling apart. We can do that spiritually, that we rule ourselves by experience that you feel, when you feel forgiven, you feel like God loves you. When you feel like God's close, you you base your relationship on that. When your prayers are being answered, you're ruled by that. And this is why verse 14 is such a temptation if you're a young Christian, because it's easy to get tossed to and fro by the ways of life. It's easy to get blown about by every wind of doctrine and every bit of human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes because the roots of your faith are not very deep. And what, Paul, or what John is telling them is he's saying, I want to remind you of the firm foundation you have in Jesus that it's not gonna be taken away. He talks about the next phase of Christian maturity, which is a growing Christian. He describes these as young men. And he says that they would overcome the evil one and that they are strong and that God abides in them. Why why does he make a difference there? Why does he talk about something different for young Christians versus growing Christians? Well, because when you're a young Christian, you have all the zeal in the world. You have all the excitement in the world. The world is just, it's roses. You see Jesus, you love Jesus, but eventually at a point in your relationship with God, things start to get hard because you often grow when things are hardest. You grow when trials come. You grow when you realize that not, your, your relationship with God is not based upon your circumstances, but is based upon his faithfulness. Elizabeth Elliot was a missionary to South America with her husband, Jim Elliot, who, who died. There's, a, there's a, an incredible documentary called Into of the Spear, it talks about this in uh, several books that, that she wrote. Uh, and there was, she said this after a failure that she had on the mission field. She had an interpreter that came, the only person who could speak English, Spanish, and this local tribal uh, language. The person dies and, the, and the, the tribe is like, well, if your God is God, why would he let this happen? And she says this, this was incredible. She says, now in the clear light of day, I see that God, if he was merely my accomplice, he had betrayed me. If on the other hand, he was God, he had freed me. I find that I no longer arrange my life in an orderly succession of projects with realizable goals and demonstrable effects. I cannot designate this activity as useful and that one is useless, for often the categories are reversed and even more often I am at loss to apply either label for the work in the end as well as the labeling is God's. The faith that endures is the faith that God keeps. And God is the one who's keeping us so that when the trials of life come, we realize God is with us. When you're a growing Christian, you sometimes grow most when your prayers are not answered. You grow most when you go through a dry season. You grow most when you have a dark night of the soul. And what you realize is that God is still with you and God is still holding you. The third phase is, is a maturing Christian. Uh, John describes these as fathers. And he says, he says this encouragement to the fathers. He says, you know him who is from the beginning. What does that mean? It means that you've been through the storms. You, you've weathered them. You've, you've seen fads come and go. You have felt the sting of living in a broken world. And you've had a faith that has stood the test of time. Maturing Christianity is a steady faith because zeal gives way to deep and satisfied joy in God. It leads to this deep conviction that the Lord will work and he will change you at his pace. And so what it means is that you can be faithful. You can read your Bible and you can pray and you can serve and you can give and you can care and you can rest because God has been there with you from the very beginning and he has always come through. For City and a Hill, we are a bit like that 13-year-old with big feet. We look like a grown-up at times, but we have some growing up to do. It'd be easy for us to follow every theological fad. It'd be easy for us to look at every new spiritual practice and weigh in on every cultural debate on Twitter, shift with the winds of culture and adjust what we teach to make it more palatable. But the reality is, is the gospel, the Bible, has always offended every culture in human history. It's just a moving target. So what we have to do is we have to grow, each of us doing our part, going deeper, loving and trusting Jesus more. And as we do that, we begin to dig deep roots that allow us to stand against the trials and the struggles of life that creates great joy, and we become this city on a hill for others. For us individually, we are individuals who make up this body. We each need to take the next step. If you're a new Christian, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Don't lament your, your, your spiritual infancy, but take the next step of faith. Press in. Find someone that you can look to and look at and pattern your life after. Who at City in a Hill can help you grow by modeling your life after them? If you're a growing Christian, don't fight the struggle. Embrace it. Rest in God when bad things happen. And maybe you're in a place where you're a growing Christian, but you actually need to be a maturing Christian, that you're kind of, some of us are honestly perpetually 13. We're perpetually believing that someone else is gonna aid us in our growth when we actually need to be aiding someone else in theirs. Who could you be pouring into? Secondly, what does growth require? What growth requires is that we become all that God wants us to be that we we need each other. And we do this by giving each other the gospel in word and in deed over and over and over again. That is not sexy. It's not the next big program. It is spectacularly boring. Jackie L. Perry says the mind renewal is a slow, active work. In it, we let God's word tell us how to think and see and feel. Then life begins to change as the mind changes. This is what Paul describes in verse 15 as speaking the truth in love. Now, speaking the truth in love is a corrective for two tendencies that we all have. Some of us are all truth. There is no love, it is all fastball, there's nothing else. Is, is, I'm just, you know, I'm just telling it like it is. And, and, you know, facts don't care about your feelings. Anybody fall into that category? I won't make you raise your hand. Um, It's a little bit like, it's not like Festivus. I don't know if anybody, anybody ever watched Seinfeld and they had Festivus, which was the alternative for them for Christmas and Hanukkah. Some of us believe that we are just here to air grievances. It's not all about truth. It's not also, it's not all love. Truthlessness is toothlessness. If it, is true, if it is, has no teeth to it, it's always affirming. You never push back. It's like a jellyfish. It has absolutely no form. The sense here, and it's a little tough to get this in English, is that we are truthing in love. We're being truthful in love, not just in our words, but in our actions. Paul told the church in Corinth, let all that you do be done in love. And the type of love that we do this in matters, but it's agape love. It's not simply brotherly love. It's not simply affection, but it's that we give and live out the truth with one another sacrificially for the good of others, even if it personally costs us something. And what this looks like in a church is robust, healthy, humble, gospel-saturated relationships. This is speaking the gospel to one another. And just a couple of steps that we can take to kind of help us think through how we do this. Firstly is that we share how God's at work in you. When you're talking to another person, be proactive. Talk about and share how Jesus is shaping you, where you're encouraged, what you're reading in the scriptures, how God is changing you. The second thing we can do is we can ask for evidences of grace. When you're talking to somebody say, hey, how is God working in your life? How are you seeing Jesus as as good? Are you seeing him as, as lovely, as beautiful? Thirdly, when, when someone brings something up, we can press in. We can say, how does the hope of Jesus speak to this situation? And then lastly, we can help people reframe with the Jesus in view. Here's how this works out with Jesus being our good shepherd. What this requires is it requires a type of proximity that we decide to be in each other's lives that we're consistent, that we're committed, that we're available, that we never grow and change. I'm actually gonna have Matt and Heather come up here for just a second as well. Matt and Heather, come here. I, 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 we have a, we're gonna have a visual, uh, a visual uh, example here. This is also about our posture. So Matt and Heather stand here. Matt, I want you to look as, as like, unapproachable and as possible Heather, I want you to look as, as, as open and as lovely and as willing to receive. What's that? Well, well it's the same thing. That's, a lot of people, it's unapproachable. So he- Heather's smiling. She's got, her, she's got her hands crossed. There you go. She can pull her mask down. Matt's like looking down. He's being all emo. He's doing his thing over here. Which one of these people do you want to have a conversation with? Heather. Because the posture that she has right now is a posture where she's open. She's not closed like Matt. she's leaning forward, she's not leaning back. For many of us, we have to have a posture and a proximity. Thank you, we're we're done. Uh, We we have to have a posture and a proximity um, where we're allowing other people to speak into our lives, where we're positioning ourselves, where other people look at us as a safe place, people who have time for them where we can speak in with good news. See, growth requires whole life submission to Jesus. See, it's in verse 15 that we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into, into Christ. It requires whole church uh, participation when each part is working properly. And it requires that we are wholly dependent on Jesus to do it from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Jesus is the one who holds us together. For sitting on a hill, this means that everything we do, everything we believe, every aspect has to be informed and transformed by the gospel. It means our approach to justice. It means who belongs, how we celebrate, how we mourn needs to be imbued with Jesus. We look to him who holds us together, who builds us up and who frees us, and we trust that he's doing the work to build his church. Personally, where do each of us need to grow so that the body can grow? Where do we each need to grow so that we can become all that we can be, that we can all do our part. It's kind of a silly example, but if you've ever seen the movie, Elf, I love Elf. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies. There's a scene toward the end where Buddy's biological dad is refusing to sing uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town and they're needing Christmas spirit to get Santa's sleigh off the ground. And Buddy's little brother is getting mad at his dad. He finally busts out into song as the sleigh flies over the top of their heads. Every person had to play their part for Christmas to come in the same way every person has to play their part in longing towards Jesus for the church to become who we're supposed to be. Maybe it's, it's growing in your gifting like we talked about last week. Maybe it's compassion towards someone that you tend to struggle with, or maybe it's just the depth of your belief, the depth of what you know about God's word, the steadiness of your faith. When each of us grows, we experience the growth of the body in love. So that when times get tough, we realize that God is holding us. When we celebrate, it's sweeter. And then when we rest, we rest believing that God is making us who we're called to be. Let's pray.